16 a little later. I was, I was on a hike with, with, yeah, with my buddy. It was good. It was good. Went up to, um, what was it, Clara Lake? Clara Lake and, and beyond. A little bit of bushwhacking. It was good. I didn't get lost, so it, it proof that I can, I can make it back from a hike. Beautiful up there. Lots of mosquitoes, so remember the DEET if you do go up there. Um, this morning, we're going to be, again, continuing in the life of David. We're getting, getting close to the end on this, um, uh, but there's still some really great things um, to pull out of the life of David. I, I have an affinity to both David and Peter. David in the times that he failed, that you, you know, because he was a king and stuff, and, and Peter when he succeeded in putting his sandal into his mouth. Um, he really liked his sandal, didn't he? Um, it, it, today our, our title is Death and Dancing. Um, there's this dichotomy, this, this uh, paradox in the Christian walk, is there not? There, there's this paradox between, between uh, the hard things and the good things. There's a paradox between life and death of, of so many different things that you can fill in, in those blanks with, of um, that hardness of life that without Christ in our life can be devastating, can be hard. We've seen neighbors and family walk through things without the Lord and, and how hard it is to walk through that, isn't it? It's not that, not that we just have joy in all things. It's that we have God with us in all things. And the joy comes with him being with us, doesn't it? But this morning I wanted to talk about this, this idea of a theology of failure. Um, it's kind of a, a newer term but it's a very old concept of how when we mess up or we have failure, or bring, um, this can bring about guilt and shame and anger and, those, and, and that leads us um, to do uh, towards those roads of anxiety and depression. Um, and that's not God's intention. God's intention for these things, these hard things in our life are opportunities for growth. Anybody that knows the orchards around here knows that those trees are not as tall as they would be in the wild. And how does it happen? Is that just a natural thing? It comes with a breaking, doesn't it? It comes with, with, with pruning. It comes with trimming. I mean, you look at those old bonsai trees. You've seen those bonsai trees? These, are, these trees are old, <laughs> They have new ones and all that, but if you've seen a, a real bonsai, these are a couple hundred-year-old trees that are just like these little things that have been very manicured and moved to do make, make this beautiful, almost looks like a, a tree that should be up on a mountain cliff um, near the ocean with wind just twisting it. But somebody's done that over years and with a lot of patience. And a lot of times when I see that bonsai tree, I think about us as believers. We walk through life with the master gardener trimming us and moving us. And, 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 and there are times where we try to go our way, and he lets us go a little bit. It's part of the beauty. And then he prunes us back the other direction. And all those twists and turns are a part of a life 
that is beautiful and a part of that thing that he is creating us to be, creating us to be. It's a process that's not over until we're standing before the Lord and he's saying, well done, well done. I, um, I don't talk about myself a lot, but um, I, I thought I'd share something about failure myself. Um, I, was, I, I was homeless a couple times. You've probably heard that before. Um, one of the times was in seventh grade. Um, seventh grade, my mom and I were, were homeless. Um, we, we did live in some shelters. Um, and maybe some of the passion that I have for Lighthouse Ministries and for people that really need to, to hear about the Lord that, that um, really are, are thirsting for something that they don't understand. And yet we're sitting here with living water and have the ability to walk to them and give them that because of my background. We were homeless for about six months of my seventh grade year, and seventh grade, um, I'd have to say, was the worst year as far as school. And I'm not the only one, and there, there were some others that didn't have the homeless problem. <laughs> it was just, seventh grade was so, so um, materialistic. People would get their, their Air Jordans, back when they were, when Jordan was still playing, you know. Um, they'd get their Air Jordans and be all bebopping along and, you know, have some kid um, in the ninth grade that, that drives up in a Mazda Miata and, and he was the coolest kid in, in, in school, right? Um, it, it was really hard. And then throw on top of that not having a home. It's not like you can invite somebody home to a shelter. But I, 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 I failed the seventh grade and um, ended up going back and we got into a place and, and I, I had a really successful seventh grade year the second time. Still very materialistic. Still wasn't um, hanging a lot with those that were all about those things. Um, I ended up um, with that my eighth grade year. They, they told me, you're doing so well. We want to bump you up to ninth grade. We, we had a three-year high school, so ninth grade was still at middle school. We want to bump you up to ninth grade mid-year, and then you can go on with, with your class to high school. Worst possible thing I could have done. I spent the rest of uh, my, my uh, school career at, um, doing summer school every year, including the year after high, um, high school was done. And I still was three credits shy of graduating. Um, I uh, ended up... Um, being very frustrated because I thought I was done. I thought I had it all figured out. And like literally three weeks before I walked, um, our assistant principal, who he and I did not see eye to eye um, really well. And part of that was because he had a glass eye. And I, um, <laughs> I gave him a hard time about that because he was kind of a jerk. Um, God bless you. God bless you. Um, but he came up to me three weeks before and was like, you have to come back next year because I found three credits in your record you didn't get done. And he relished it just a little too much. Um, I, I love teachers, and I, I love uh, their hearts on the front line, and administration sometimes can, um, can just bite it. Um, sorry. Um, anyway, I, I went through a hard time after that. I took a year off. 
was like, I'm not, I'm not going back there because I, I just can't go back with that. And, and I had taken kind of a walk um, away from the Lord uh, around seventh grade. Um, and it wasn't until college that Kelly and I met, we kind of came back t- uh, to the Lord together. Um, but during this time, I, I spent time, um, every so often I'd catch myself um, uh, in, a, in a moment, a quiet moment at night, a uh, bit of an insomniac, and I'd, I'd be praying to God. I'd be like, God, make me your, your soldier. I don't know why those, those, those terms, but make me your soldier. And in high school, I, um, I, I ended up going back um, and doing a full year in Bend, Oregon. I was independent, um, and I, I went back, and I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I had to take a few more credits in Oregon than I did in Idaho. Um, so I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well do a full year and do what I want to do. Um, took like AP Bio and um, psychology and just some, some things I had in electronics, which was interesting. We mostly ended up um, using high, uh, a high power supply to, to blow up circuit boards. We learned a lot from that, but we <laughs> that you don't want to breathe in any of that, that smoke. Um, but uh, I ended up having a, a, a good year. Um, having come from, from Boise, being um, that I was about to graduate, but I didn't, um, with a two-point-something um, grade point average. Um, when I went back, I ended up... Um, Three point something, like three point two five, or I don't know. so. I, I, when I was in Boise, I was probably uh, would have been voted the least likely to succeed, least likely to go to college, least likely to do anything. But um, you know, would you like paper or plastic with that? Um, and I, I ended up doing that. I ended up going to college there in, at, a, at a community college. I never saw myself being in college. And I went to college, and it was awesome. It was what. I felt like high school should have been. Um, our public school system is great, but it's also a mainstreaming instrument. Um, and it's, it's an instrument that, it, it's a bit of a failure if you look at how many kids do not graduate at all. Uh, and we fail our kids so often. Um, I'm, I'm telling you all of this, this is, this is part of my failure in my life, um, I'm not telling you this to, to depress you. This is not, not the reason. Not, I'm not telling you to get something off my chest. I, I ended up going on and, and um, through a patchwork quilt of college, a um, couple stopped years, had appendicitis. That threw me out for a while. Um, but I, I ended up finishing my bachelor's um, on the dean's list for three um, semesters before I graduated. When I got my master's, I had, out of the two years, I had one A minus. Thankfully, that was early on in that, that master's, so it kind of humbled me and kept me on the right track. But, but to know that um, I was doing something that God was calling me to do, that's where success comes in. Our failures can be turned to success. Our failures can be redressed, as it were, can be turned around. A life spent chasing the wrong things can be a strong life chasing the right one. David we kind of move along in his life here a bit because we're going to be in 2 um, 
2 Samuel 6, David, David at this point um, is, is king, and he's, he's had the, um, the ark has been sitting out in this, uh, this tent tabernacle out and away, and he's like, why, why should it not come to me? Um, sometimes David had that, that little bit of an arrogant strain <laughs> running through him like a lot of us guys do. Sorry, just telling on us. Um, but he was wanting to move the ark, and then really that's the manifestation of God. He wanted to move God closer. How often do we want that? How often do we try to do that too? Come closer, God. Only to find that he's already there. But he fails to, um, to move the ark. He, he, does, he does some right things, but they're not necessarily the right things. There are some right things. He, he gets a, a cart that is clean, ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean, and, and, and has the ark put on, on this cart. And, and if you read the Old Testament at oh, all, that's not how you move the ark. And especially back in that time, they would have known this. But David was, eh, he wants, he wants to hurry this up, hurry this along. But he's still celebrating. He's still out there worshiping. He's dancing around. And then it starts to move. And, and you've got this great servant of a guy, Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was, was on the cart. And he's, he, just, he just is thinking about the ark not falling. And he reaches out. And he's struck dead, just like that. And it's like, wow, God, that's harsh, right? I mean, there's, I've read that before, and I'm like, Wow. And then there's a moment where, where David goes back and he, he does move it the right way. Um, and in moving it the right way, he, he's out there dancing even more unashamed before the Lord. And his, uh, his wife, um, Michael, uh, has some problems with that. And so that, that kind of brings us to what we're, we're talking about today today. Um, Michael actually ends up watching and despising David at the end of this, but it starts out with a failure. Um, in, in 2 Samuel 6, uh, verses 6 through 7, it says, And when um, they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Isaiah put out his hand um, uh, to the ark of God and, to, and took hold of it, uh, for the oxen stumbled. And the, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Isaiah, and God struck him down because, uh, there because of his error, and he died there because of the ark of God. It was Uzziah that, um, Uzzah, I keep saying it wrong, Uzzah, uh, that paid for this, this mistake, but it was David's failure, really. This was, this was not um, Uzzah's failure as much as it was David's. This is why David was, was um, fearful about bringing the ark any further, because he knows that he did it wrong, and somebody's, somebody paid with their life, for his mistake. Yes, Uzzah reached out and touched the ark, and that was his mistake, but ultimately he wouldn't have been there had David done it correctly the first time. And um, so really, it, it may seem like a harsh punishment, but it was, it was um, God was showing how much his presence mattered to the people of Israel. David was learning how to best treat God's presence the hard way and with failure. And this is still relevant today. 
God's presence in our lives is important and how, how we handle this and ha- handle his presence matters. Did you know that the old, the old, in the ark in the Old Testament was the precursor of Jesus? Precursor of the representation of Jesus. The ark, Jesus, it's, it's this, this, this great sim- symbolism, this uh, Christophany that we, we see so many times in the Old Testament. There's these moments where we see Jesus in the Old Testament. We go, wait, 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 that looks like Jesus. What is that? And the ark was this, it, it, the representation of God's presence amongst his people. And Jesus would uh, become God's representation among us. Isaiah is that, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14 is, is that, um, that prophecy of, of Jesus saying, therefore the Lord himself um, will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall con- conceive and bear a son and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1, through 23 says, all this took place to fulfill Isaiah Um, What the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I wonder wonder if, if Emmanuel was ever used prior to Jesus to describe the ark, or to describe the presence of God with the ark. Um, I wonder. I just love those moments because when we discover those moments or we see those moments again and again of Jesus in the Old Testament, it just rings true. Number one, the Lord's presence is not trivial. The Lord's presence is not trivial. Jesus being present in history at creation and in our lives is not just a thing. It is everything. Do you know that without, without the presence and directing of Jesus in our lives, the church is nothing? Nothing. What we're doing right here is nothing without, the, without Jesus in our lives and the Holy Spirit's direction as a church would be nothing. Without his presence, we cannot do the right thing or even approach our God. Jesus gives us that ability, that right, albeit we may feel unworthy of it, but it is a right to come to God because of Jesus. So Michael did not understand God's presence. She chided David because he embarrassed her in dancing before the Lord. She lost it all. You think about it. I mean, she, she gives David a hard time, and she's even addressed as Saul's daughter in the word. She's not addressed as David's wife or the queen. She's addressed, she's addressed as Saul's daughter. How do you think, what do you think um, Saul's name was like at that point? Did he have a good reputation? And David, never again. 
2 Samuel 6, 16, and, and also verse 20, it says, um, as the, the ark of the Lord came into the city, David, uh, uh, the city of David, uh, Michael, the, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. You think in that same sentence, it would say, Queen Michael looked out the window at King David, but no, um, before the Lord, and he was dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And in verse 20, it says, And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, again, making sure to differentiate, the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, sarcasm, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, uh, female servants, as one of um, the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She had quite a, a, an image in her mind of him dancing before the Lord. And we've, we've joked about him dancing in his skivvies. But he was in an, a linen ephod. And I guarantee you, he was not doing some dirty dancing. He was dancing before the Lord, worshiping God with all his might. There are times where I get moving up here. You guys do that? You get moving at all? The spirit's moving. Just Man, I, I'll tell you, we've been to a few churches. Uh, one in Biloxi, Mississippi. One in, uh, is it Northeast Portland? <laughs> Northeast Portland. Mount Olivet Baptist Church. You'd think Baptist and you'd think wrong. Um, that was a Pentecostal church if I've ever seen one. We were probably a handful of white people in the whole church and... Um, Probably the, the two majority were um, Hispanic and, and African-American. And whew, I'll tell you, we don't move. We don't dance before the Lord. They do. And, and I, I think I get an image more of what David was doing. And, and it, it's not this like, oh, ah, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. Man, I was watching these people in this church just dancing and just like, I just, I just want to join in. <laughs> I did, but kind of. <laughs> White man can't dance. Okay, got it. <laughs> but you sure as heck can try. There's something about dancing like nobody's watching. About worshiping like nobody else matters. Because they don't. At that moment, it's that relationship with you and your, your, your Lord, your Savior, your God, who does not call you slave, but calls you friend, who has given you access to the throne room of God through his blood on the cross. David didn't even have the cross to make him dance. Let that sink in a little bit. We got the cross, and if we can't dance before the Lord, just saying. Michael had expectations of her own that were not the Lord's. They were not David's either. She had expectations in her mind. She did not have the same concept of worshiping God that David did. Probably not even what God had. 
Have you ever had your expectations not meet up with reality? Your reality feels, feels different. You're like, wait a second, that's not what I expected. How about have you ever had your expectations for the church, how the sh- church should look like, but um, not really line up with reality? Or with your expectations? God has a knack for that, you know. He has a knack for not meeting our expectations. Some people would call it exceeding our expectations. When, they, when our expectations are exceeded, it doesn't really feel like that, though, does it? It doesn't feel like reality's right. But yet God makes it right, makes it his right, not our right. We try to make it our right. We try to make it what we expect it to be, and then suddenly we're sitting there going, we, okay, God, where are we going now? Each of us has had a a struggle at some point in our expectations of what a Christian should look like, a neighbor should look like, what our life with Jesus should look like. Yet just as often we find that God's reality tends to be so much better than we could have ever imagined. The second point is this. The Lord's glory is not about our expectations. The Lord's glory is not about our expectations. It's all about his glory. 2 Samuel, seems like a theme, right? 2 Samuel 6, 21 through 22, it says that, And David said to Michael, this is after he just gets chided, hasn't even made it in the house. He's like sweating. And David um, said to Michael, it was, before, it was before the Lord who cho- uh, chose me above your father and above all his house um, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. Um, Some versions say undignified or reckless or foolish. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. When we're in that place, that, that Mount Olivet Baptist Church in Portland, and people are dancing before the Lord, it's not something where you're like, catch something in your spirit just just stirs. It's like, it's like um, John the Baptist in, in his mom's um, belly. That's how he leapt because he was near his Lord. There's that sense in us, that, that leaping in us. We, we may not have the knees to do it anymore. I, I know that I, I still have issues with mine. And, but, but there's something in us that just wants to, to dance. We want to run through the fields. True. There's, there's something powerful about the spirit moving within us. But when we don't, when we hold on to our expectations and we stay there, we end up like Michael. Michael remains childless and 
David doesn't even visit her again because of this instance. I mean, it's a bit harsh. Again, we've got Uzzah and, and Michael in this situation where they, they, they really didn't come back from this. There's a danger about making God's worship all about us. Not just expectations, but if we, if we really make it about us, because that's really what those expectations are, isn't it? We start walking down a road that, that Satan walked himself. Because worship became all about him. And that's why he and so many angels fell. That's why worship leaders fall. That's why pastors fall. Leaders of all kinds fall. Is because it becomes about them. That's why so many in the church fall. The thing is, is we've got to We've got to have a theology of failure. We've got to have death and dancing. Something dies, but yet we can dance. That theology of failure, being able to see that our failures are not the end. Our expectations might not line up, but the thing is, is we should be able to turn and see, wow, this is what I thought, but that's what God did. And if we can do that, our failure is not an end. Our failure is not a, da- a death. It's turning to dance. Number three, the Lord's worship is not for the apathetic. The Lord's worship is not for the ap- apathetic. If you are not careful If we're not careful, our expectations, offenses, comfort zones, and tastes can turn into apathy. And this is the lukewarm water that was spit out in Revelation. If we have expectations that are not met, if we have have offenses that are not released, because remember, we've got to refuse to be offended, right? We're, we are known by our love, right? It says in the word that, that we will be known by our love. But the thing is, is the part that they don't say, it is not said, it's unsaid, it's underneath, is that you have to refuse to be offended to get to a place of love. Because if you're offended at something or someone, or expectations not being met, you will not get to a place of love. Look at Michael. Did she get to a place of love? No, she came out the door ready to fight. The way you were dancing? I I can't quite do that. (laughs) Thankfully. (laughs) Stamps all around. Um, but think about that. It, it, offense is what, what we hear in, in Scripture about take that, that thing and lay it down at the altar that you're going to give, right? You're going you're to take your offering, lay it down next to the altar, and go and make things right between you and a brother or sister before you do this. Offense needs to be dealt with before you worship. Offense will need to be dealt with before you can love. 
We can love, like in the world, love, but that love that comes from God that flows through us, goes to others, and keeps moving, that kind of love that God is all about cannot happen in the midst of unmet expectations, offense, Comfort zones. We like getting in comfort zones, don't we? We kind of like that, that, that place, like, like getting on that one spot in your house. Maybe it's a couch, that one blanket. It may have holes in it, but you really like it. You roll out. That, that's not the comfort zones I'm talking about, but that gives you an idea, that feeling. Got something to surround you. And expectations, that can do that. The, the things that we have that are a taste for, um, we like certain things. And when those things surround us, we feel comfortable. But I'm here to tell you that God isn't about comfort. He will comfort the afflicted, yes, but he's not about making you comfortable. Uh, old pastor would say, you know, he afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. God is, you know, C.S. Lewis with Aslan, his, his image of God, the, the lion, and how, how um, he's called not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. He's not a tame God. He's a God that likes to say, oh, that's what your expectations are. <laughs> Come over here with me. I, I love it about him because that's where that humor comes in too. Because there's times where he watches us and I, I've joked about it before. It's kind of like he's like, oh, angels, come here, come here. Look what he's going to do this time. Oh, I love it when he does this, you know. And, and I, I get this feeling like, like um, you know, he, he binge watches you know, us all the time. Popcorn. Anyway. Long time from pantomime to, to where I'm at now. Um, but he, he, I... I, I he enjoys us. He enjoys his creation, and I think sometimes we forget that he enjoys us as individuals. He enjoys watching us fail and get back up again. Rely on him. That's one of the, he's like, oh, I'm here. Yeah. I, 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 I'm listening. I'm with David. I don't want to be spit out like lukewarm water. I will be more undignified, more abased, and alike for my God. I am a worshiper of the living God. And, this, and if that means I am to worship with my dignity at risk, so be it. If I am to worship God with uh, my safety and reputation at risk, hallelujah! And pass me the crazy hat. I, I am to worship God in a, in a new way and with a new song and with new friends and with renewed fervor. Praise the Lord. Do you have a new song in your heart? If not, there may be something you need to lay down. Because you can't sing holding marbles in your mouth. I mean, there's, there's some bands you listen to that sounds like they might be singing with marbles, but 
that, that idea of if you've got offense or you've got something in your life that is stuff in your mouth before you praise, spit it out. Get it out. If you need forgiveness, talk to a brother or sister. If you need to forgive, do it right away. If that person's no longer with us, go stand by the closest place for you to be able to yell at them a little bit and get it out. I had to do that with my dad. My dad passed away, and I had to go and stand by his graveside and have a little shout out and then forgive him and then move on. I grew up without my dad, just, just so you know. Uh, that, that was, I, I didn't see the issue when I met him later in life, and it, it didn't really occur to me until after he had passed, and it was something I hadn't let go of, and I had to let it go. And if you have that in your life, if you have family that you never let it go and they've gone on to be with the Lord or whatnot, have it out, spit it out. Get the marbles out of your mouth so you can stand unashamed and go, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I have a challenge for you today. Leave your apathy in the dust and worship the living God as though no one else no one else's opinion matters because it doesn't why don't you set your things aside and i'm going to go back to one of the songs we did this morning ooh that was electrified